Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren. We've got Mr. John Copenhaver sitting there. Uh, What's going on, John? Uh, uh, Not a lot and way too much all at the same time. Sometimes it feels that way, at least. (laughs) Always too much. There's right. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, if we could only select the things, certain things. Anyway. No, if I could just not have to email anymore, I would could set that up. That would be great. <laughs> well, just just walk away. Yeah, it work like that. <clears throat> I oh. wish. I wish. Maybe maybe they'll be able. One day we'll be able to sort of like just like think our emails and not have to write them. And, it's just gonna go right into your brain. Right. <laughs> and then right out again. Yeah, but you see, you wouldn't want that because I'm sure there's things in your brain that we wouldn't want to seep into these emails. Well, that's true. And uh, and also, I wouldn't want to get notifi- notifications in my brain. So that seems really terrible. So especially especially a junk email, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Advertise your book now. Right. Well, uh, why don't you, um, that's what the husband is for, you know. Why do you uh, need to your emails? Uh, no, that wouldn't work either. Come on. He would like delete them all and be like, you didn't have any emails today. <laughs> <laughs> delete, delete. <laughs> Nothing came in. I don't know why. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Just junk mail. No problem. I deleted it all. So don't worry. <laughs> sweet of them. Um, well, speaking of sweet, we've got uh, a sweet writer, Mr. Scott Alexander Hess. How are you doing? I am good. Thanks for having me. 
Well, this is interesting. Uh, you've got three names. Uh, that's usually a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's good to Google. I, um, if you Google Scott Hess, uh, I think it's a ball player. But before my first book came out, I, I put my middle name in, and you Google that, and there's nothing. So now you Google that, and it's all me. So before I published my first book, I did that little bit of research, and it's been very helpful because if you Google Scott Alexander Hess, boom, I'm the first two pages, I think. Yeah, one ball player to another. Yeah, so I don't have to – I think there's an artist and a ball player and um, who are just Scott Hess, but Scott Alexander is – is me. Yeah, oh. I have a football player named John Copenhaver and a judge and all kinds. Yeah, they they came later. So, well, I don't know about the judge, but the football player came after. So I couldn't, I can't really, you know, fix that one. Hunt <laughs> them down. You know, I, well, I had to put an R in my name because there was a writer that had Alan Warren, but he's a foot doctor. Oh. oh. <laughs> he's very similar to what I write, you know. <laughs> so, that's right. Feet floating, you know, same sort of thing. Well, so Scott, tell us who who are you? Like, where did where did this all come from? Like, where where did you come from? All of a sudden, you're on the scene. So, how did it start? Uh, on the scene. Actually. <laughs> um, well, I mean, way back, I, I just went to St. Louis, Missouri, to see some family. So. It, the reading and the writing, I was reading novels, and when I was like nine, um, somebody was talking about their read children's book, and I said, oh, I was reading Jacqueline Susan and Harold Robbins, and so I read novels when I was a kid, um, and, uh, and wrote and so forth, but my novel writing career really began in, in grad school. Um, I was a journalist, and did a little screenwriting, but uh, went to the new school in 2007. And um, that's when I, we read a novel a week and I fell in love with the form of the novel. And then halfway through, I was suddenly like, oh my God, I think I want to write a novel. And um, once that started, then it never really stopped. I just went, the first novel was the hardest, but then the second, the third, as I moved on, it was like, oh, I'm, this is my form. You know, this is what I want to do. Hmm. Um, Did it ever scare uh, you? Like when you when you say, I just well, I fell in love with the novel, the novel form, uh -huh. and so I'm just doing it. But weren't you a little bit nervous about that? Um, or you just jumped right in? You had no fear? Well, I think earlier in my life, yes. When I was younger, I, you might have said, can you write a novel? And I would have said, oh, my God, no. But... When I was in grad school and uh, and f just doing all that stuff, I don't know. I was just at a point of like I I succeeded, I failed, I dealt with monsters. You know, I oh I was an actor too. So talk about dealing with rejection. So at that point, I was just like, oh, what the hell? I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh, it was daunting, and it was. Uh, took a lot of determination and tenacity and like I had to learn how to discipline myself. I had to learn how to read. These books they had us read were like so intense and one was called Hopscotch. It like went, uh, it was nonlinear and it went all over the place and, and I'd like read these books and sometimes I'd almost cry because I'm like, what do they want from me? But <laughs> it changed my brain and I, 
learned so much. And then, so I wasn't really scared. I was more determined and, um, and also just, you know, more and more focused because I would get frustrated because it was not easy, especially that first book. And someone, I remember Helen Schulman, who's a great writer, she ran the program and she would say, oh, you like to kind of write these nice little sentences and hang pretty things on them. And, um, but you know, you're, I, I don't know if she used the word brittle, but you know, Mike, I didn't know how to really bring characters to life yet. So I was like, oh, is that how you see it? So I would get angry more so, I think, and and keep at it and be like, well, what the hell do they want from me? <laughs> Did you uh, slap her? Or No, <laughs> no I, I listened and I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. And it sunk in. And But I didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, I did finish that first novel, but I really didn't quite know what I was doing. But I teach, too, and I always tell my students, you have to get to the end and it may be very imperfect and messy, and but you have to finish it, and then you have to let it be like, oh, okay, this is my first book, um, you know. So I I did get to the end. I finished the book. I had something. Um, it was really by book two or three that I started to understand, like, oh, this is what I want to write. This is how to write. This is you know. And I read more and more people, and I was. I would study them and be like, how did they do that? So, hmm. um, what do you think yeah. is the most important thing about a book when you write it? Like what, when you're done, what's, what's, what's the end result that's important to you? I think that someone has lived a life. I mean, once I start a book, I'm immersed in a world and I kind of live that book and I live the characters and I cry with them. I, you know, I, I live their journey. So a book, well, I feel I've done my best if when I finish it, you know, a, a character is human. Like, it's really humanity on the page. Like, they, they've they changed. They've grown. They've, they're full. They're fully formed. And then something has happened to them, you know. I don't know. They, you know, how a lot of times I, uh, not completely stream of consciousness, but I kind of just write and I discover as I go. Um so at the end, I, I hope I've taken someone somewhere and the characters have changed. And, you know, so if they don't feel like they've come to life, then I look back and say, all right, that's not my best book. Um, hmm. You know, yeah. and others I say, oh, yeah, hey, those people are alive. Yeah, <laughs> Don't lock me up. But, you know, they're, they're alive in my mind. And I think they come to life on the page. I hope for the reader, you know. Yeah. And then I'm happy. I'm like, good. So when you're immersed in these characters and you say you live them and feel them, think them and all that, um, do you dress like them too? Or? <laughs> um, you know, no. I mean, maybe a little. I mean, I, I was a method actor, so I do think acting can help writing. And when I was a method actor, we did. You know, if I played a mechanic... I had to get used to like, what does a mechanic wear? How does he walk? How does he? And so if I'm a character I'm writing right now is I'm in, really in the new beginning part of it. I'm just totally playing. But for whatever reason, he's like, I see him as this huge man. He's like 280 pounds, 6'3", um, very shy. And he's headed to this farm. Um, so I have to 
explore that. Um, and I, I will do things like go put on an old pair of jeans and go walk in the woods. You know, I mean, mm. I do kind of have to get in their heads. So I'm very, I don't know, John may um, remember or not, but I, I love fashion and I get myself all dolled up in Prada. <laughs> but if I'm going to write this guy, his name is Purnell, it's like if I'm exploring that, you know, I'm like, well, you better pull out your dusty old jeans and um, do, you know, right. walk by a tree or something. <laughs> <laughs> Hang out in the woods with with an axe. <laughs> how do you well, how do you experience this, these characters then? How are you? Is this all visual or is it voices? Is it like what? What's that experience like? Um, it, you know, it's in it's visual. It's in my mind. Um, I see them and they begin to grow, and it's like watching a movie. Um, I see them; they begin to come to life. They move like uh, in the root of everything. There was a little um, what was her name? Grandma something like a little spry lady who was inspired by a, a grandmother I never really knew. But so I just see her. I see her moving. I see her floral dress. I see how she, how her body moves. I see her walking across the field. You know, it's like they they bounce around in my mind. And I, when I'm writing the scenes, I see them doing things. But then once they live, they kind of exist in my mind. And I can always see them living their, their, their lives, you know, live, existing as they are. Um, hmm. Yeah, so I, I experience them visually mostly. Yeah. But when I'm shaping them, sometimes I have to move that along. Um, like the new characters kind of still coming to life. So I may have to, to kind of engage with that a little more. Do they tell you kind of what they want to be? Uh, well, not in like a seance sort of way, but as I, I do believe the muse is saying, you know, I, when I write, someone told me long ago, he said, get in repose and be open and then it will happen. Because my first novel I attacked, I was like, my God, this has got to get done. But I do find, I, I have the ideas and I have the flows and I have notes and things, but once I start writing, they do kind of start to take shape on their own and they do move forward. You know, they, it's more like I merge with them and they are going somewhere. And then I kind of, we go on that journey together. I'm not Scott, the writer sitting there and like a character turns and says, we're going here. It's more like I kind of get into this person or this journey and, and then we start moving somewhere and I'm kind of with them and then they move along. But, Right, right. You're not, Who knows where the guy, you know. Yeah, you're not waking up in the middle of the night finding a shovel in your hand or something. <laughs> no, no. Um, That's more sounds like a Stephen King book. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you know, you never know who you're creating. Uh, how do you right. how do you describe your characters then? Like, uh, and I mean this in a lot of uh, writers that we've talked to will say they're like my children, or they're like family, or they're like whatever. They have a description. What what is yours? Um, no, they're just random human beings, um, who exist. Like in my mind, they exist and then they exist in my stories, but they're often very unlike me. Um, they're like creations. I, I wouldn't call them my children, um, or my family. I mean, some of them are horrible. 
horrible. Um, well, we don't always like our family. But no, I see them as like people, like little um, um, people, basically, that exist in a world. Um, and the world happens to be in my books, but they do come to life for me. So I see them as existing. Um, you know, sometimes I have to use myself and that's, that's my least favorite thing to do. Um, I like it much more when the characters are, uh, distanced from me or someone else or that, you know, I'm finding new things. Um, right. I find that more compelling. So what's first? Is it the character or the story? Or does the story come and then, yeah, how does, how does that work for you? Which one? Um, it's usually idea um, because I don't, sometimes I have fragments of a story, um, but it's an idea and a place and then character. Um, I... It, it, you know, the last, the, the one I'm revising is set in Delhi, India, and I was literally there twice, and I was at this place, and I got this idea, and it was like, oh, this is, but I was also experiencing something. And then the new one, I just was on a bus going to of somewhere in Missouri, and I passed all these farms, and I started thinking about droughts and heat in farms, and suddenly I was wanted to write about a farm, and then and then, you know, the character came later. Like, who is this that's going to this farm and what's the story about? So, but it's definitely the idea first. Um, and then the characters start to populate it. Do you ever use people that you've met or known or maybe you've of run course. across? Oh, okay. So when did, you, when did you use me? You very soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't get to see anybody, so I can't use, although I can use John, but. <laughs> Why not? Everybody does. <laughs> Right. No, no. <laughs> no, I, I, I use um, bits and pieces of, of everything, of people everywhere, and I take little notes and um, try to – I take little notes just because you can't keep everything in your mind, but um, little fragments of people that it kind of stays in my subconscious, and I think it comes forward, um, but I do take notes, and uh, everything's game, you know, and you never know when you need a – the characters do build in my stories as it goes, especially the the fringe or side characters. So sometimes I'll need like, oh, I need a local priest. And it, and then I'll think, you know, I'll think of different people I've seen or usually it's different pieces of, of different people. Um, unless some, you know, unless something's really specific, like, oh, the way he moved and talked was great and that I'm going to use for this particular character. Hmm. If you, if, if you had to describe what type of writer you were, what would you say? Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever sells more books. Um, No, I guess I am uh, a a literary LGBTQ literary fiction. Um, uh, I, I actually had to, write a description recently and I was working on my writing group with, uh, on it and I because I, I said oh lush gritty prose and they're like well can it be lush and gritty and I'm like <laughs> I like poet poetic language so lush prose I often deal with the land our earth or the river our you know the the weather those those become characters almost and then 
um, you know, gritty different in other eras, like other eras, um, often kind of edgy or darker edges of things, outcasts, um, you know, like, uh, the butcher sons is a, a butcher shop in hell's kitchen in 1930. So a little, usually a little more fringe elements. And I guess the grit comes in the, the settings and the, um, sometimes in some of the action because the, the conflicts they face. Um, hmm. yeah. So, so well, well, in, in each of your books, whether you plan it or, or if it comes organically, do you have a subtext? Do you have kind of a meaning under the storyline or entertainment part of the books? Um, a meaning, a, like a, a purpose for the book? Yeah, a or a subtext. Is there some, is there some point that you want um, the reader to get besides not, the entertainment? Not when I'm writing it, but that usually subconsciously does emerge. Um, when I'm writing, I'm just led along, and I also often think like, I don't know if this is any good or not, or, you know, kind of once the magic starts, then I'm on a journey and I'm like, I hope this isn't a big disaster, but I kind of keep rolling. But often um, my writing group will point it out to me. They'll say like, oh, another really flawed um, uh, male character, or you'll have, um, you know, you're working with um, nature a lot, or they'll point out themes. And I do deal with, a lot of um, off-the-grid people, off-the-grid characters, sort of, um, I think, because I felt off-the-grid early. And so I do think there's always a, um, a flow, you know, an undercurrent of people who are a little off to the side, are struggling with fitting in or, or, or you know, making a a go of it in the world are, you know, that, that kind of is an undercurrent. And um, so, you know, I, I, I do represent, I don't know if it's a theme, but I do represent kind of otherly people who doesn't necessarily come easy. So they have to deal with a lot to get to where they want to go. Um, yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah, you know, I, I'm so curious because that's a sort of a two-tiered question. Um, one is, what is your attraction to historical fiction? Because you write a good deal of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and can you discuss also Missouri and its role, sort of the sense of place in your fiction? Because I think it, it plays, like you were mentioning sort of the, um, the land and, and your, you know, comments about that. But, it, you know, it's right. like a really important thing Um to you so well i like historical because i mean really it's just other eras and they call it historical and it's a good tag you know when you're selling a book but i what i sometimes wonder i'm like well it's i'm in other eras and so i guess that makes it historical but what i like is um the 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 conflicts the um how more difficult it can make things, especially for my gay characters, like a young 16 year old, um, frail young man in Hell's Kitchen in 1930, having a secret affair with a big boxer. You know, it's like, there's a lot of problems there, um, that could come up and violence. And, you know, it's like, I like putting people in different time periods and then seeing what they have to, 
um, go through and face and deal with, especially the the queer characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in these other time periods, they 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 have more struggles. You know, they they have to face things, and and I like to explore that. Um, and I do like. Um, I like land and earth and water and sky and I love setting. Um, somebody compared me to, I'll say the name wrong, but Annie Prulix. And, um, sadly I hadn't even read her. And then I looked and postcards of one of her books and I was like, Oh, I like this. Hers was on this farm and, um, postcards is a great book. And, and I think I said a lot of things in Missouri or Arkansas because I experienced it. Um, growing up as a kid up until I was about 18 when I left for New York, but I really experienced the land. So it's so close to me. You know, it's like I can taste it. I laid in that dirt. I know it is in my body so I can really write it. Um, I, so that will take me back to Missouri and Arkansas, uh, in some of my books. And sometimes I said it in New York City, but that's a different landscape. Because I've experienced that, but it's it's not earthy. It's just um, well, probably more the grit. Uh, but the the one I'm writing now is well, revising now is set in Delhi, India, and it was a whole different journey because I only went twice, so I don't really know India. Um, it was it's a story of someone who's an outsider, so it was okay to do it that way. But um, it's different, you know. If I really want to sink into the the setting to the land, I go back to things I know. Um, cause even though I may act like I'm like, woo, I'm Mr. Bergdorf Goodman city boy. <laughs> and it's like, I spent a lot of time rolling around in the dirt. So I know that I know, I know that, that earth. So yeah, that's really interesting that you mentioned it's, I think it's Annie Prue is, is the name that the, um, it's, although it's hard to pronounce, I, she, her book close range which i guess broke back mountain it's a collection of short stories but right right yeah i you, you know what it's really interesting but i do there is i see that similarity so people have said that of your work so i think i i see it too yeah that makes a lot of sense to me um do you think you know when you're thinking about character um you know do you think that the land or the the setting, let's keep it more broad instead of just the land, but the setting, do you think it sort of shapes the character or do you think your character is really, you know, sort of cast a shadow or their points of view and the land is really what shapes it? I mean, what, what, where do you come from that? What angle, I guess, is, do you take? Uh, I think that, they're forced to deal with the land mm-hmm. um, and they have to become, they either fight it or they become at one with it. When my stories about land, like the river runs red is the Mississippi river root of everything is it starts in the black forest. It goes to a, a, a timber um, camp in Missouri. Um, the jockey, uh, well, not, it was called lightning was Arkansas on 1917. So the characters often rely on the land, like the land either feeds them or gives them a job or is their livelihood. And then also battles with them. Cause often my land is there's a flood 
there's a blizzard, like in, in lightning, not giving much away, but the father dies at the beginning because he's out. A horrible blizzard comes and he freezes to death. And the young man um, has to go find him. Um, I read um, William Gass. He's a wonderful writer. And I read The Peterson Kid early on. Mm-hmm. And it's all about these people being stuck in this blizzard. And I was like, oh, my God, the use of weather was so compelling and so like, and like you said, it's like, is it the land or is it the people? But right. <laughs> it was both, but the people existed in this land and they had to deal with it. There was no getting around it. I also, I don't really write people that rise above the land, I guess, that are super wealthy or that, you know, um, I tend to write. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. More people that have to make peace with it you know like um fight it or rely on it um so they kind of merge in that way if someone had never read your books before which i find very hard to believe but if there is that person which one book would you suggest that they start with i usually say the butcher's sons um because it's um it's got everything it has Two straight brothers, one gay brother, 1930. It's got my love of language. It's got the, the heat wave in New York City. It's got a murder. It's it, it's got um, racism. You know, it's got a, a whole bucket of elements and a, and a ripping good story. Like, it actually has a solid story. Sometimes my novels will be a little more language and the, the plot is a little less. Um, but I usually start them 
there because people often say, which one should I read? Um, now, I also do write a few modern, when I get overwhelmed with some of this writing, I'll switch gears and write something modern like Skyscraper, um, which was like an obsessive S&M relationship in modern day New York. And that becomes more of an emotional story. Um, so that sometimes if, you know, people ask me, then I'll also ask them what they're looking for. Um, but I've written a couple of these more modern day um, books, uh, yeah. which are different. They're very different from my the bulk of my work. You must have had fun living out that one. Well, I did do my research. I'll tell you that. Um, I did. I always do my research. But no, there was some fascinating research actually around that. Um, a, a man who was a bit lost and then this muse wakes him up and then it turns a little twisted in the second half, like a, a Kafkian sort of murder thing. But, um, but I did, I learned so much about, I don't know if it still exists now. I mean, maybe, but um, I'm like John, I'm a little more at home making the meatloaf. <laughs> they were like, they were like the club where they're all the, the men with the snouts and they're the dogs and they literally run around in a little um, uh, uh, like sanctioned off area um, because they're the pops and then there'll be another part that, so there's all these things of like, Oh, you know, who knew? Yeah. Um, and I, found, I found fascinating. And the character I was writing knew none of this either. He was discovering it all through this, um, this obsessive obsessive relationship um wow but that that was interesting and not even that to me not that titillating but really fascinating like oh wow like look at this yeah john does that still go on or <laughs> i'm sure it does yes <laughs> is that where you are now that's why you're not showing right. the camera <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's got his little pup Ma right. mask on and he's, yeah. he's ready yeah. to go. Yeah, no, I, I think all that is very much alive and well. Um, you know, I have a very pretty dull domestic life in current. So, yeah. But, you know. Yeah, he takes <laughs> off his apron and he <laughs> please. <laughs> now, now the root <laughs> of, the root of everything and lightning too. Mm -hmm. So what, what, what's going on here? Now, um, this is two novellas, right? Right, right. They are two novellas. And I do, um, I'm drawn to the form of the novella. Um, it, well, it's odd. I don't know if you all have the experience, but I write and I revise and it's, I, I kind of know when it's finished. I know what it is. Um, and it's always harder when it is a novella, but it, the, the book knows, like I've, I finish, I, I'm there, it has a shape, it's like, okay, we're set. Um, and it's always a little harder when it's 120 pages because it's harder to sell. Um, but I put those two together because someone said, well, I'll publish the root of everything, but you need something else. So I actually turned one of my novels that hadn't published into a novella. That was lightning. And they are the two root of everything is the family saga 
um, that has a lot to do with land and real estate and um, timber and uh, family and uh, uh, they're one of the central characters is is gay and then the the lightning is the one set in Arkansas on the farm the young man who um, whose father dies in the blizzard and then he he has a love for horses and an opportunity to be a jockey or stay on the farm. And he also kind of comes out, um, has a uh, relationship with another young man um, as the story goes on. So, hmm. yeah. And that they're, they were put well put together because they both had to do with um, the whole like uh, land earth sort of thing. Wow. So what is it about novellas that you like? You know, that's so hard to answer because um, I don't know. I mean, that's the muse that sings. It's like when my stories are starting and I'm living them, I just, the shape comes and I know, especially halfway through or toward, you know, it's like, this is the shape of it and it feels right. Um, and then there it is. Like the root of everything has three generations and it's nonlinear and it goes all over, but it's like 130 pages. And that was, to me, that was the perfect shape. Um, I, it's hard to sell novellas. So, but I, I, I go where the writing takes me and then that's where I land. And then I breathe with it and I'm like, okay, this is what we have. Um, it's easier to sell a novel, you know, it's like, um, so I have a, 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 I like the shape of the novel, uh, um, the novella. Um, who was it? Turn of the Screw, Henry James. He once wrote that the novel is the perfect form because um, he wrote some good ones. But why I why some of mine turn out that way, um, you know, who knows? They just kind of do. And I, 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 I'm not going to say I have a love-hate relationship, but um, I'm happy with them. And then I'm like, Oh, here we go. How am I going to, what am I going to do with this one? You know, because you can pitch a novel, but pitching novellas is a little harder. Um, I've heard that folks are having a lot of, well, some success with uh, uh, publishing novellas and even short fiction on Amazon, which is fascinating to me. Now they're fairly, you know, um, I, not particularly, I guess, literary, but more like mainstream or, or genre um, mm -hmm. and have like very clear hooks. But it's just interesting that as we continue to sort of evolve um, in scary and wondrous ways, <laughs> um, right. how these forms may actually turn around and come back um, to be, you know, to have a resurgence. I keep on thinking about that with particularly the novella because it is kind of a nice, compact um, form. And I, I certainly like reading novellas because they're rich enough to have real, like, you know, character movement and depth. Not that short stories can't, but I think short stories are often more, like, kind of, they have to be really sort of tight and um, a lot. A lot of that iceberg in a short story has to happen beneath the surface, right? A lot of the right. development. But, like, a novella is kind of cool. Anyway, I don't know um, if if that's something you've encountered or uh, considered, but it's, it's certainly an interesting, interesting. Well, I have I've had students tell me 
that sci-fi novellas yeah. um, do very well. Because um, in a class I'd once said, oh, it's harder to sell a novella. And a student said, well, I write sci-fi. And actually sci-fi novellas are 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 great. Um, I mean, in anything on Amazon, it's, it's so much is about marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think I, it, I do hope that, I mean, I love writing novels too, but it does seem with people's attention spans that they would gravitate to more compact things like novellas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, but I don't know. I, I don't, I don't see that in publishing as much. Yeah. Um, but Amazon is, is a jungle. So it's like, <laughs> right, it's its own thing. Anything right. work with the right marketing. Right. Um, oh, that's, that's, so that's true. I caution writers about that who want to use Amazon. It's like, there can be some great success out there, but you know, make sure you know how to market. Yeah. Mm. So now the butcher's son. Now you are revisiting that title. Yeah, I have a new publisher and um, new additions. So we have new um, introductions. Uh, Ian McKellen, who's a journalist, um, wrote a new introduction for the butcher's sons, and Amy Dupchek, a writer, um, wrote one for River Runs Red. So they're new additions and jazzy new covers and um because they came out butcher sons was 2015 um so it, it had a nice cycle but it's um you know it's a chance to bring it out again and find new readers um so those are coming out august 9th from rebel satori press did um, so. did you make changes to them or do you ever get tempted to go back on a an older book like that that's had a few years. And no, 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 never. No, I revise, I revise, and I, re, you know, I live with the book. I revise it. I get it there, and then I'm like, I'm not one of those writers that wants to go back and keep like, oh my god, it's got to be more perfect. It's like, no, it's done. It is what it is. And if that sentence isn't perfect, then the next book will have a more perfect sentence. It's like this is a. And also I write them into time periods. So it's like, that's who I was then. That's what I was seeing and feeling and experiencing. And that's the world. So put it on the shelf. And I do think of sequels because people have asked me to write a Butcher's Son sequel, which is on my list of getting to someday. Um, hmm. But not, I, I see a book finished and then it's like, that is its life. Yeah, I, I, I think it's an endless process anyway the, for the writers that do go back and they, re, you know, change it and then want to change it again as they progress in their life. I, I think that's something that you'll never you'll never be able to finish that. Yeah, I kind of think this idea of perfection is, I mean, I, although I, I, I tend to think you should want to write the best book you could possibly write. I think that's just about, and, and, and you're like, Scott, like you said, every book, hopefully every you know book you write, at least to a certain point, is going to get a little bit better as you get more skillful. The idea of perfection, this seems kind of crazy making, right? <laughs> like if I dove back into any, either of my books, it would, I think I would probably go a little nuts. Like it just, I just wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I think what's perfect about it is, it was perfect at that moment, or it yeah. is what it needed to right. be at that moment in time. 
if you go back and start fussing, then it becomes something new mm-hmm. and you're a different person. Like, so it just changes it to me. It doesn't, you know, and I, I don't mind messy things. I don't mind sentences that get a little lost or, you know, it's like, uh, I, I like, I was just rereading some Faulkner and it's like, some of this, you know, <laughs> like in August and it's like, good Lord, this is swirling all over the place. But it's great too. I'm like, oh, wow, this is definitely, I I like his words because he, I swear he makes, I think he does make some of them up, but there's like these, this long long word he uses about how a person has a cigarette on the side of their mouth. (laughs) And like three words are put together to describe that. (laughs) And I find it fascinating. I'm like, huh. But I, uh, Many writers are fearless, including him, but I like to read a fearless writer who doesn't seem to be afraid of um, of that, of like, maybe it's a little too messy, and it's like, well, that's okay. Mm. You know? Do you find yourself fearless then? Fearless? Yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> I don't know if it always serves me, but um, I do. I I get fairly fearless and and put it out there and and make it happen. And I mean, you know, Skyscraper was my only Lambda Literary um, nomination, right? And I wrote that book and then I did have doubt. I thought, oh Lord, what have I done? And (laughs) I asked someone in my writing group and I'm like, is this any good or is it, what have I written here? And and she assured me and we talked about it. um, And I'm like, I guess this is still literary and what but you know i had these dogs crawling around and it's like what but it and then it got it's the only one that got that lambda thing and i'm like oh my god thank god i published it and like didn't hide it in a bury it in the backyard you dirty dirty girl (laughs) (laughs) like oh you know and and then some people that's the only one they read Hmm. they're like i want to read that one you know are you surprised by that um, a little, yeah, because it was such an odd book and it's not my normal, like, sweeping saga, you know, of the earth and the butcher's sons. It's like, it was this odd little thing. And, um, so I'm glad. Um, and it, the second half does get a little more like my regular style and things get a little wonky and strange. Um, but it's a very unusual book. Um, that journey was was very different from my normal uh, books. And I, I did write it in between historical books. And I think, I, I don't know if I had low expectations, but I was diving in and exploring and wanting to just go a little wild. And um, I didn't have in my mind like, oh my God, this has got to be published. It was like, let's just see where this goes. And then I finished it and was like, Oh dear, what have I done? You know, it definitely was not. My family would say, "Is this one we should read?" I'm like, "No, not this one." <laughs> then they asked that about every book. Like, "Is this one we should read?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, this one's good. You you read this one." Um, well, I thought Skyscraper was a children's book. <laughs> well, the, you know, we're all children at heart. Yeah. Well, so who is this writing group that you uh, belong to? Where'd you get these people? Oh, the ponies. I'll definitely give a shout out to the ponies. That's our nickname. Um, at the new school, they had us create a, um, a cluster, they called it. And you met and critiqued each other's work and submitted work. Um, and this group of people 
we have maintained that. Um, so that's a long time, right? 13 years since 2009. Uh, we've continued to meet every week for all these, these years. That's and sometimes members will come and go a little, but um, they're all writers. They're, uh, we all are connected in some way to the new school. And um, yeah, we just, it's, it's a great, great thing because when you're having doubts or when you're like, what the hell am I doing? You have people to submit to. And also we, we um, check in, we support like, how's your writing going? How's life going? What's going on? Um, we share our accomplishments, our failures. And so it's a great connection to keep the motor going. Um, and also read each other's work and, and just keep that part of it going. Do you suggest that for other writers then or new writers out there? Oh, always, always. Um, the main thing is keeping some form of momentum going and some drive, like inner drive, or if you have to make it more external. But the main thing I see with writers is they lose hope, basically. they It breaks my heart when someone, and I also mentor people, they'll spend a year, a year and a half, like writing, 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 and then they'll get some rejections or... They won't know what to do with it or, and poof, they throw it away and that's it. Um, and so I always emphasize like you may be really fired up now and you're really excited, but you want to build the writer's life that's going to go on for life. And so set in motion some things that are going to keep your momentum going during the ups and the downs and the doubts and, um, cause you know, it's like a diet or the gym or anything. It's so much harder to start than just continue, you know. Um, hmm. At the end of my 10-week classes, I say, what are you doing week 11? No one ever answers. <laughs> like, you, you know, you've given your writing priority for three hours. So why not do that next week? You know, it's like, the, the, in some ways, the classes are less important than what they create and what you do afterwards. Um, You got to go to some leather bar or something, you know, (laughs) or that, you know, you got to do your research. Yeah. You got to get out there and whip it, whip it. Good. (laughs) So what do you, did you like this um, new world win? Like, do you like all the uh, social media and you like uh, TikTok and all this sort of stuff or websites? Are you into that? Do you like to interact with people that read your stuff and do that? Or? I do, actually. I do. Um, I have not done TikTok, um, but um, I, I do. I've met so many people. I've found opportunities. Um, I've gotten a review. Um, you know, I've, it, it's, and also I've, I've followed other writers and learned from them. Um, I've inspired writers. You know, I see people who are trying to write their first book and I can inspire them. And then I see someone who just landed a big deal and see what he's doing. And um, so, yeah, I, I, in the beginning, I was just like, it's a necessary evil. I have to create all these. And all my accounts have to do with my writing because back in 2008, it wasn't as exploded as it is now. So we were told to create these things and basically everything was connected to, um, to writing. So I built that and uh, I've met so many interesting people. 
Um, and it's always great when people, uh, you know, say, oh, I saw that post and I read your book and I liked it. I'm like, oh, my God, that's great. Because you don't know who sees things. Um, hmm. And, I, you know, I've met a lot of my first book was Diary of a Sex Addict, which my goal was that it be literary, but also carnal. You know, it's, that was another one of those modern ones. Um, but I actually met, <laughs> you may find this interesting. I, I met many people in the adult film industry, um, who read the book and reached out to me. It really helped my Twitter following because when like this one gay porn star, like, I don't know, he did something or retweeted something or whatever. And it really helped build my following. Cause I was like, <laughs> you know, uh, he had I don't know, you know, whatever the big stars have, they have a lot of followers, but he was like, Oh my God, I've experienced this and this moved me. And so that was really different. I mean, who never in my life would I think I, I didn't think I'd ever write that kind of book, but I did. And then it's like, I didn't think I'd be interacting with a, with an adult film star online who read it and who was inspired by it in some way. You, you thought know, you'd like, be interacting with one in person? <laughs> well, no, that's that's a whole different book, you know. Um, well, but, where do people find you then? What what name do you go under uh, for Twitter or any of those? Where where do they where do they find you? Um, it's something around Scott Alexander Hess. Um, they, I'd have to look here to see exactly who I am, but um, <laughs> I. You know, Scott a good a good lookup of Scott Alexander Hess is gonna basically find me, and that's my website, ScottAlexanderHess.com. dot com. Um, and then the, I wish like um, every social media was exactly the same, but they're a little bit different. I try to go with Scott Alexander Hess, which is my Instagram, um, but. Some of them are a little bit different, like, you know, Twitter's Scott Alex has or something like that. So, mm. uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I have some some of those guys that dress in puppy masks following me. Oh, good. I should I should hook you up. Maybe it'd be a next book. Do they follow you down the street or just? No, on, on Instagram and TikTok. Oh, good. Yeah. Perfect. It's interesting. It's interesting what they do. Tell them about skyscraper. Well, this is what I'm thinking. This might be the book. You know, I I can hook you guys up. Absolutely. Maybe there's a sequel coming. There could be. You know, and they may have a. Um, there are a lot of gay men's um, reading. What do you call them? Reading clubs or? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, there's you know, a lot together, and they read a novel and discuss it. Mm -hmm. um, so I love when people reach out and have chosen my book. Yeah, I think that's um, one great. of my problems. Yeah. You know, no, yeah. yeah, no, we'll have it all up on our website because we want to connect you to as many puppies as we can. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, was the pandemic um, hard on you and your writing uh, the last couple of years? Did you did it get in the way? No, it didn't actually. Um, no. no, I uh, I wrote just as much, if not more. Um I guess I'm a, you know, I'm a feisty little fella. I'm five, five. And when faced with adversity, um, I, I work harder. I come up with, like, I was training on 
my phone with my trainer. I bought these stupid weights. I was walking. I was covered up in bubbles of plastic, you know, and, and I was writing and I had to keep all that going. And sometimes even more so during these times of struggle in my day to day life. Sometimes it's more routine. Like, have you done this? Have you done that? Have you sat down and written today? Um, but when I face adversity, it kind of revs me up where it's like, they're not going to get me down. You know, I'm going to do this, this and that and keep rolling. Hmm. Um, so, so stress yeah, and, and all that sort of stuff doesn't really interfere in your writing. So there's all this weird stuff going on. They're having a big anti-mask rally outside your door. You're still fine. Yeah. Well, because I decide this is my hour to fall into the world that is my own, you know, that has nothing to do with any of this, I, you know, my little fantasy world, whatever this book is that I'm writing. Um, so, I mean, I do have to, to, um, to, to focus, you know, like, um, I guess, cause I've always done a lot from the beginning in grad school and everything. I had to work and go to school. And so I had to be able to really focus and read a novel as I was on the subway and walking down the street and write in a coffee bar for 30 minutes, because that's what I had. Um, so I, I've always been able to like, you know, say, all right, you got to shut the door, turn on a fan and sink in. Hmm. Um, yeah. You're not, you, you don't have it like John where you're just making a meatloaf in your kitchen and, <laughs> Dictating my next, you know. Yeah, dictating. Right. <laughs> like, he he's, he's kind of like the, you know, modern Julia Child. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's there. Oh. Read that back to me. Give <laughs> <laughs> me another gin and tonic and be quick about it. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Can't you? You know? I can. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. I think you got me yes. out. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> well, this has been a um, good conversation. I always enjoy talking to new people, and um, I have to say thank you very much. So our guest, Scott Alexander Hess, um, hope to see you again sometime. That would be lovely. Thanks, Scott. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. 
You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. 